0: Today's episode of Blast Burn Radio is brought to you by Cassie, Declan, Mackie Grad, and other listeners just like you. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so over at Patreon.com slash Challenge Accepted Media. You can pledge your support and start earning exclusive rewards today. Thank you.
1: They said, look, you're a bomb. And I'm going to bring you to be a bomb. Do you understand? And she was like, I love you. You you could do no wrong to me. I love naive Pokemon. It's great. Did you get more wood? Oh, yeah.
2: I had a strategy of just feeding my Marowak all the drugs.
0: That's not medical advice. I'm not liable. (laughs) Podcasts aren't real.
2: You are now listening to Blast
0: Burn Radio. Everyone, and welcome to another episode of Blastburn Radio. I'm your host, Stephen Charbonneau, and with me today are our returning friends, our back-in-the-saddle-again co-hosts, Celeste Dreyer and Anima Servier. Thank you for joining me today, guys. How's it going?
1: I'm doing pretty good, actually. It's been uh, a bit of a crazy weekend, to be totally honest with you. Lots of running around, but legitimately, it's been restful and it's been nice despite being busy, so I have no complaints.
2: I've been pretty busy, too, but... Honestly, not that much this weekend, but last week. And this weekend went too fast for me. But I'm doing good.
0: All right, guys. Well, we're not going to linger too much on... Our stuff, because we have a lot to talk about today. The Blastburn Radio Nuzlocke World Tour is back in action, and we are picking up right where we left off, catching a boat from Castellia City back to the old world of the Kalos region. Now, as has become tradition around here, before we jump into gameplay stuff, let's let's talk a little bit about these titles, uh, about our experiences playing them and, and overall what they mean to like the fandom, the community, and to us as Players and fans. Now, Pokemon X and Y represent the sixth generation of Pokemon titles, and the series leap to new hardware with the Nintendo 3DS. Uh, In addition to being the first 3DS titles in the series, X and Y are also notable firsts in being the first titles to have a simultaneous worldwide release. I only have to tell you guys one fucking date this time. They released on October 12th, 2013. Uh, And they were also the first titles in the series available for direct download as well as retail sale at launch. Uh, They're also the first game in the series to be playable in all seven languages the Games are historically released in, uh, which include Japanese, English, German, Spanish, French, Italian, and Korean, regardless of the cartridge's coded region. Historically, if you wanted to play in Japanese, you had to purchase a Japanese cartridge. Starting with the 3DS games, you select your language at startup. Now, as a reminder, the 3DS console itself released on February 26, 2011, two and a half years before these games released. And in North America, this console released before both pairs of Generation 5 games, Black and White and Black and White 2, both came out after the 3DS. Uh, so calling the series' jump to the 3DS console highly anticipated and awaited would frankly be a, a huge understatement. Uh, the Nintendo handheld fandom was starving for Pokemon to make the console jump by 2013. Now, as is frankly to be expected at this point, uh, Pokemon X and Y were critically acclaimed. They did well in the gaming press at the time of their release. Uh, Famitsu gave them a score of 39 out of 40, and IGN rated the games an amazing 9.0 out of 10, tying their score of black and white, though coming in beneath their score of Black and White 2, uh, which I still think might be a little bit overvaluing overall, but I can at least appreciate that Black and White 2 <laughs> did better,
2: <laughs> personally. Mm, personally, I think IGN was smoking something.
0: On w- In which direction?
2: <laughs> the wrong way.
0: In which direction? <laughs> <laughs> the wrong way up or the wrong way down? <laughs> Score never go mind. up, score go low. <laughs> I was talking you...
2: about the black and black and white two having those high scores, but never mind.
0: You're insane. Those are a masterwork. What are you talking about, <sighs> Celeste? I
1: I mean even not even I can dispute the fact that black two and white two are great and I hate you Nova. <laughs> <laughs>
0: As is to be expected at this point of main generation Pokemon titles, X and Y were commercially successful, though not breaking any records within the franchise. Uh, They sold 12.26 million units in the first fiscal year of their release, and to date they have sold 16.49 million copies worldwide. Now, that being said, these figures are near the bottom of the barrel for the franchise. Only Black and White sold less in terms of the, in terms of main generation titles, Uh, but they do become more impressive when you consider that they were the first franchise games on a new console generation that represented, at the time, the largest hardware price tag to date for fans of the overall fairly affordable Nintendo handheld series. A lot of Pokemon fans had not invested in a 3DS console before X and Y came out. So that's worth bearing in mind as an asterisk next to their sales numbers. X and Y are are notable titles for a a whole slew of reasons. So many that I am sure I am going to miss some in this episode. Uh, Some of those reasons are, are great and ambitious, and many of them are frustrating and disappointing. Kalos was released with a frankly massive regional Pokedex featuring the widest variety of favorites spanning the entire franchise of any Pokemon region. At the same time, however, the Kalos Pokedex features the smallest number of new Pokemon to date, including later titles. It is the literal smallest pool of new Pokemon. It introduced zero legendary Pokemon beyond its cover legendary trio. And it is also notable for being the only generation of Pokemon games to receive no third version, sequel pair, DLC, or other form of Director's Cut or Enhanced Edition. We've talked about this before, but it does seem clear and hindsight that a Pokemon Z was intended at some point in development. Um, This is backed up by the fact that the last season of the X and Y anime was Pokemon XYZ. The fact that Zygarde did not get its two alternate forms until the next generation in Sun and Moon. Like There's a lot of things pointing to the fact that Pokemon Z was intended, uh, that it was planned, but it was ultimately cut. Likely to make room for Sun and Moon to release during the 20th anniversary year, and it's hard to argue that Generation C did not suffer from that lack of a definitive version. Uh, we've talked before extensively about how Ruby and Sapphire and Diamond and Pearl are significantly worse than Emerald and Platinum and would be remembered much more poorly without that treatment. Uh, I definitely think that that has affected the fan view of X and Y in the years that passed, that it never got that glorification, that, that glow up from a third version. Yeah, agreed. Uh, that being said, Generation Six really introduced not just a lot of like like gameplay features, although it did, but it introduced a lot of the ways that modern trainers play Pokemon games. And nowhere is that more evident than in the world of shiny Pokemon. X and Y doubled the pre-existing shiny rate to one in four thousand ninety six without the shiny charm, and introduced methods like horde battles, chain fishing, and the friend safari to further boost those odds. While there have always been masochists, who hunt for extremely rare shinies in old games at full odds, shiny hunting as a mainstream Pokemon playstyle likely never would have taken off the way it did without these quality of life improvements. And the same is true for the equally meaningful changes to breeding and training mechanics uh, for competitive Pokemon. We had introductions of things like super training and again, horde battles for EV training, as well as like quite possibly the biggest batch of breeding simplification changes to date. X and Y were trendsetters through the modern age of Pokemon for both good and bad, and that's easily visible when it comes to quality of life features such as these. Now, among the fandom, X and Y are polarizing games. They brought the series into the future in a myriad of ways, both positive and negative, Uh, sweeping changes and additions to the franchise, the, the obvious and Polarizing again, full 3D graphical update and quite possibly the biggest round of quality of life improvements to date uh, accompanied the beginnings of, of what have proven to be a trend of shorter and, and Less deep playthrough experiences with less opportunity for exploration and, and frankly, shallower and easier games. Whether you love or hate the direction the Pokemon franchise has taken since the 3DS era is likely to color your opinion of these titles greatly, as there's very little argument that Pokemon X and Y started down the road that the Pokemon series travels to this very day. Now, Let's talk a little bit about how we feel about these titles and about our experiences having played them. And and unlike the last couple of games, this is exciting because I'm pretty sure we all have these. (laughs) Um, So let's start with you, Anna. I think I I know we've had this conversation before, but it's been so long that I genuinely forget. So I'm excited to ask, what are your standout memories and impressions of Pokemon X and Y?
1: So X and Y are really interesting to me because As I've said before, like, I played Pokemon, like, Gen 1, Gen 2, was gone for basically Gen 3, came back in Gen 4, missed Gen 5, missed Gen 6, played Gen 7, went back and played Gen 6. So, long, long road to get here, which is, frankly, uh, a little disappointing because... Kalos is, like, Pokemon France, and my family is, like, 99.9% French-European like descent. (laughs) So, shame on me uh, for not coming here sooner. Um, But I think the thing that struck me the most uh, when I finally did pick them up, I picked up a copy of Pokemon Y. Um, I really, really like Yveltal and Xerneas, like, as Pokemon, as legendaries. I think they're really cool designs. And I was really struck when playing, um, Pokemon Y by how rich the culture is there. Like they did a really good job of capturing that French European, like culture and then bringing it in to the Pokemon game. It's very identifiable when you play, particularly when you're in Lumio City, like where you're supposed to be. And I didn't necessarily get that when we played through black and white because there were so many different um like sub areas of Unova that didn't make it feel very America. Like I think Castelia City felt very America, but the larger region didn't. Um the cultural identity of Kalos is everywhere. It's in every inch of it and it's very very good. This region also has some of my very favorite Pokémon, so that's that's legitimately wonderful. I uh, actually got to play them in our regional tournament our bbr regional tournament which was like a lot of fun and i'm well everybody likes greninja (laughs) so uh, i think the starter trio gets a lot of shit uh for for this region but i don't think it's as bad as everybody says
0: yeah that's really cool and i like that's i'm really glad that X and Y, like, like, did something for you that, that a lot of our more recent games haven't, at least on initial playthrough, that they really hooked you. Um, so you, you mentioned really loving Greninja and that kind of segues in well because. Our last two series were, were sequels and remakes, so for the first time in a long time, we have a totally new starter trio to talk about. Uh, Pokemon X and Y features Chespin, a little grass-type rodent boy in a hoodie who evolves into Chestnut, a big, beefy, grass-and-fighting-type tanky rodent boy, I guess. Uh, Finnekin, a fire-type Finnick Fox who evolves into a fire-and-psychic-type wizard fox. Uh, Delphox, and of course Froki, the fast and nimble water-type frog who evolves into everyone's favorite edgy, gross wet ninja, uh, the water and dark-type Greninja. So, Anna, we talked about your feelings on the games, but what about these starters? Which one did you choose on your initial journey, and, and how do you feel about them overall?
1: I, I like most of the starters here. Not you, Chespin. I fucking hate you. <laughs> <laughs> Poor grass boy. <laughs> I, I said most. Most. I picked Fenikin as my first starter for this region i I really like the Fennekin line in general. I was really torn though I love foxes and I love like frogs and and toads, so I was like, "Oh my God, what am I gonna do but yeah i I think they're great. I really like the mystical like witchy element of the Fennekin line, and I love the very Naruto fanboy <laughs> look of Greninja. <laughs> Because it it totally is. I remember watching the anime and them uh, trying to teach him, like, double team or some shit or quick attack. And he's, like, pulling mirror ninjas running around.
0: I was like, <laughs> someone's been watching way too much Naruto. In the XY anime, they literally go to the hidden fucking ninja village. And it's just like, all right, motherfuckers. Like, you don't have to lay it on that <laughs> thing. <laughs> the hidden grass village instead of the hidden leaf. It is. The, the, the Finnequin line, man, I, I really like Finnekin as well, and I'll talk about that. But Delphox, I think, is one of the better examples of a Pokemon that looks really, really good in 2D artwork, but is just utterly betrayed by his 3D sprite, which is almost unforgivable in the generation that introduced the 3D models for its 3D model looks so bad. <laughs> I don't, I don't understand it. Um, uh, but I'm glad that someone loves it because I certainly do not. Um, (laughs) um so let's let's move on with you celeste um i know that x and y were extremely formative games for you as a pokemon fan um why don't you talk about your experience playing them and their impressions on you
2: so x and y is interesting because i picked it up didn't really play it in 2013 and it kind of just sat gathering dust for a while and then i think in 2014 right when i was trying to figure myself out i decided i wanted to pick up a pokemon game again and I had a blast of it. Um, just being able to go around the region and do fashion, which is something that I hadn't been able to do in my own life. Um, playing as a female character for the first time ever in a game was great. And that was something that I'd never done before. Um, it's not in, the, not in the Pokemon games there. That's been an option for a while. I'm not saying, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm talking myself in circles, but yeah, you know what I mean. It was the first time uh, you took up that option, yes. Exactly, exactly. The giant city of Lumios, even though there isn't as much exploration, I actually got lost in that city a bit just by taking the wrong corridors. That's
0: because the camera's bad. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> I didn't want to bring that up. I'm I'm gonna and I'm gonna repeatedly just wait until we get to fucking Lumio City. <laughs> oh, and the taxis the taxis are a bit annoying. Just a bit.
2: But I had a blast. Um my biggest memory of all that is taking my favorite Pokemon Vaporeon to the mansion to farm money so I could get more fashion. <laughs> and just beating the shit out of trainers there for money. <laughs>
0: Fashion is indeed the real end game. Um, (laughs) All right, Celeste. Well, same question for you, I suppose. How do you feel about the Kalos starter trio? Which one did you pick for your initial journey? And are they still your favorite? I like them all. Like even Chessman, I like Chessman's design. I didn't like Chessman before, but
2: after using him in some of our competitive stuff, I see his value there and the designs kind of grew on me. Um, that being said, I actually picked Fennekin. It was one of the fire starters that I really liked at the start. I'm really sad it's not as competitively viable as
0: a certain frog. But <laughs> that that is a massive <laughs> understatement. Actually, yeah, like, again, Greninja <laughs> like, is a defining Pokemon of competitive Pokemon, and Delphox is what <laughs> left to the wayside. Yeah, you know, you know, but yeah. Again, I'm glad somebody likes Delphox. I. If we had gotten a 2D sprite of Delphox, I think I would love it a lot. It's just it looks it looks like an old grandma with big hairy ears and I'm not here for it. <laughs> uh it, it looks like it's wearing a fur moo moo, and I'm not about that life. So guys, I'm I'm excited. I'm I'm so happy because I get to be the salty negative boy for once on this podcast. I get to be the one who's hypercritical and doesn't just love the thing. Um so let's talk about Pokemon X and Y, ladies and gentlemen. This is why I had to throw the last jab for you, <laughs> black and white, cuz I knew this was coming. Allow me to get this out of the way first. I I genuinely like Pokemon X and Y. I I have never played a Pokemon game that I did not like. Um all criticisms <laughs> come from a place of legitimate and deep love. I felt like – I played Pokemon X and Y when they were new. I I didn't play them like at release, but pretty close to it. I'm wanting to say that I got my copy in – actually, I got it. I know I got it. I got it in February of 2014. I got it as a Valentine's gift for my wife. So exactly seven years ago to this day, I got Pokemon X, which was not planned. But that's, that's the truth. She got it for me for Valentine's Day that year. So that's neat, I guess. Generation 6 is really special to me. It is – the time in my life where I put down MMORPGs, um, not when X and Y were new. This probably wasn't until like 2016-ish. Um, uh, but I put down MMORPGs mostly for good. I've picked them up on and off again since, but not as, not like I did back then. Right. And, and Pokemon really kind of became my main like video gaming entertainment outlet. Um, at least over, over long term. And X and Y was a lot of that. It's funny. By the time I really got into Pokemon, ass were the new games. And I played a lot of Oras, like that was my main cartridge, because it had to be if you wanted all the megas and blah blah blah, and that was fine. I put more hours into X and Y in that period than I did in Orass because I would rather be in Kalos than in Hoen. And I maintain that to this very day. I would rather be in Kalos than in Hoen. Fight me.
2: <laughs> um What, you don't love water forever?
0: Uh fine. Come out to my Twitch stream if you want to talk about Hoenn. We'll talk about Hoen. Um, <laughs> But Hoenn's fine. Kalos is, is, I think a better place to be. Kalos is an incredibly aesthetic experience. In, in my heart and in my mind, Kalos is the spiritual successor to Johto in that it doesn't have a lot of meat. Like, like to me, when I first played X and Y, they were fun and good and I liked them, but they were a significant downgrade at almost every step from black and white and black and white too. The story was significantly more bare bones, which would not have bothered me if I had not come into it after playing Black and White and Black and White 2. So I knew that Pokemon was capable of telling better stories with more meaningful characters. And I traded in Sharon and Bianca for the chuckle fucks that are your rivals in X and Y. And that felt bad. That felt genuinely bad.
1: Tierno challenges you to a (laughs) dance-off.
0: I have also never been shy about the fact that I don't love the 3D models. Like, I think that they are a pretty significant downgrade from the full motion sprites that we had in Gen 5. And that is that is an opinion that has softened over the years, at least for some Pokemon, and as the models started to get more and more personality. Like, you look at models of things, like Incineroar, for instance, that if you look at the model, like a stock image, it's just like, that is the goofiest motherfucker I've ever seen in the world. But when you see him in motion, you see his animations, so much personality comes through, and like... That puts me on board for 3D Pokemon. But, like, you also, the flip side of that is you look at something like Delphox, or even like Blastoise. Blastoise looks so powerful and threatening in all of its sprite work, and it's a fat, stupid-looking turtle in its sprite. It just, it just fucking, it doesn't look good. And and I never loved that. I, I never loved the way that the models went to a more washed out color palette. I understand that that is more in line with Ken Sugimori's original Pokemon art. That doesn't mean that I like it. Like, and if you need a great example for how that's a problem, look at look at the Swampert line, and in particular, look at the dirt that they did to. Oh God, what's the middle evolution? What what is Swampert's pre-evolution? Um, Marsh Tump. Yeah, Marshomp. I just want to call him Gustav in my brain. In my brain, that thing is Gustav. Um, but look at the dirt they did to, to stomp He looks, he looks like a mentally challenged kid waiting in the yes. lunch line. It's so bad. I gotta give you 3D Marshomp. It's,
2: it's or Mar- I can't even say it. You
0: know what I mean? The entire Mudkip line is bad, but Marshomp is like the epitome of that problem. And especially like if you look at the really rich blue and orange of Swampert in older titles, and then the washed. It it doesn't look good, and I don't love it.
1: Marshall just wants to be your muddy buddy.
2: (sighs) Your muddy buddy of doom.
0: In every way that matters... Of established Pokemon games, X and Y felt like a step backwards from the DS generation, and that frustrated me. But also, there is no denying that being in Kalos is, again, an incredibly aesthetic experience. It is it is a region that feels good to be in and to spend time in. I've talked about this on the show before, but X and Y, specifically Y, was my first Nuzlocke. The very first one that I ever ran, and I ran it so many times. I was so bad at Nuzlocking, you guys, and I picked a rule set that's not too far from the one that we use right now. Like, a really challenging rule set to jump into your first Nuzlock with, Babby's first Nuzlock. And, and I tried, and I tried, and I tried again. And when I finally won with two Pokemon alive, it felt so fucking sweet. I've also talked about the fact that that Griffin McElroy's Nuzlocke series on Polygon was a big inspiration to me and to us to become a content creator in general and then to make Nuzlocke content and make this show in particular. And that was a Pokemon Y Nuzlocke. I would not be the fan and the content creator that I am today without these games. And I am incredibly grateful to them for it. But also, there is no denying for me that a lot of the problems that I have with modern Pokemon started in X and Y and made me incredibly lukewarm to them from the jump.
1: Yeah, I suppose that makes a lot of sense. You know, there. You mentioned it earlier. A lot of the design philosophy changes started here. Mm-hmm. But the the funny thing is, some of the things that they do well also started here. Yeah. So, it, like, it was really a shift up in like a lot of ways since you you're on record as hating uh (laughs) quilladin at least uh and not being an enormous fan of fennekin are are you you a froakie fanboy is that is that what
0: we're 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 getting off of you here so this is my single least favorite set of starters it it is. I it wasn't always, but now in hindsight, like yeah, this is the worst starter trio for me, like by far, hands down. I don't love any of these guys. My first starter was Froakie this time around, which I hadn't chosen a water starter first for a while. But this was influenced by two things. One, my wife did not play X and Y when they came out with me, so I was it was very much a me experience, and so I picked what I wanted. And two, when X and Y came out, there was a mystery gift for a Torchic. Holding a Blazikenite, so me being the the elite gamer that I am, I went okay. I could take that Torchic, and I could take a Bulbasaur because Bulbasaur is rad, and a Froakie, and then I've got Fire Water Grass. All three of them can well, no two of them can Mega Evolve, and the other one's a goddamn Greninja. Let's go, baby! Um, <laughs> so that was my very first playthrough. That being said, for my Pokemon Y Nuzlocke that I spent the better part of a year restarting and restarting and restarting and trying again again and again it was always finnegan always and and at the time i think finnegan was definitely my favorite of this starter trio that's not super high praise again but um yeah like like i have spent more time with finnegan than any other starter in this trio but froki was my first and gun to my head i would be hard pressed to choose a favorite
2: there's just too much hate.
0: Someone's
1: like Jolly. You you gotta choose a Gen Six starter to say that you love, or I'm gonna kill
0: you, Dad.
2: And he's like, I just can't
0: <laughs> pull the fucking trigger, man. It's done. Um, They're just
2: all lukewarm.
0: So. Our last region, Unova, held the distinction of introducing the most new Pokemon ever in a single generation jump. To follow that up, we are slingshotting directly into the Pokemon generation that introduced the least new Pokemon with only 72 additions. This small number, however, undeniably holds great quality, with many iconic favorites making their debut in Kalos. So what do you guys think? Of the comparatively small number of Pokemon introduced in the Kalos region, which is your personal favorite?
1: It's Vivian. I love Vivian so much. I mean, everybody knows that I love Butterfree, too. Like, I, I just have a thing for Butterfly Pokemon in general. Vivian has all those beautiful sprites. There are so many variations. They're gorgeous. And legitimately, like, for a Pokemon that you get really early in the game, Quiver Dance Sweeper Vivian is still a threat. It can run a pretty good competitive set.
0: And it's no joke. Like, it's it's so good. I love that Pokemon so much. It's the best butterfly moth Pokemon that is not named Volcarona. Like, hands down. Um, I was a little disappointed when I saw that the only new bug type in Gen 6 was the early game butterfly. But it is easily the best early game butterfly. So, you know, there's that. How about you, Celeste? Who is your favorite in the Kalos regional decks?
2: It's hard for me to choose because it's honestly quality over quality at this point. There are a lot of quality additions and this. I, I guess I'm an Eevee fangirl. I like Sylveon a lot for a lot of reasons. Um, but if I had to choose something other than Eeve- Evolution, I'd have to say Heliolisk has really grown on me. I really, really like the Lightning Lizard.
0: Heliolisk is really neat. I, For me, the Kalos Pokedex has a lot in common with the Hoenn Pokedex in that I like all the Pokemon in it. I think that they're incredibly I like iconic and evocative of Kalos. I don't love almost any of them. Like, they're just, they exist, and I'm glad that they're, like, they're fine. They're good. I'm happy when I see them. They're fine. None of my, none of my favorites are Gen 6 Pokemon, or at least almost none. I was actually surprised when I really sat down and thought about this question. I was surprised at my answer, but my honest to God answer is, is Diggers, Diggersby though. Because Diggersby's just, Diggersby though. Diggersby is (laughs) such a goofy looking motherfucker, but he's, With his big fucking muscly arm ears looking like fucking Popeye the bunny. It's, it's mad, but he's so fun to use. He's so good. <laughs> and, and like normally I'm – Normally, there's a very clear delineation in my brain between Pokemon that I love because they're cool and Pokemon that I love to use because they're good competitively. But Diggersby is just goofy enough that he just rides that line and falls on both ends Uh, somehow against all logic. But I I love Diggersby and so can you.
1: (laughs) Seriously, when the very first time I got the evolution cutscene, I said, what the fuck? out loud because it's so ridiculous. i really like diggersby it's a great pokemon but the the moment that i was like oh this cute little bunny what it's gonna
0: <laughs> just spit out my drink
1: everywhere like what the actual fuck just happened because what, what S- steven what do i have to compare this to right like low punny <laughs> Like, oh, Bunny's going to evolve. What's this going to look like? And it goes straight to, like, Garbage Man. That's Low Bunny's daddy. <laughs> <laughs> the, the rift between those two in terms of
0: aesthetic design <laughs> is <laughs> as wide as it could be. It's, it's very cool. <laughs> I, I honorable mention, though, I think goes to Florgis, which is another one that I have really only come to appreciate over time, but it's a great design. There, you know, despite introducing the fairy type and Lord knows we're going to talk about the fairy type. Um, there aren't that many fairies in the Kalos decks, uh, but Florges is just a really good one. It's really like neat and cool that it, again, it has so many different color variations and it's really useful. Um, I think it's a really cool Pokemon, and I like it a lot. But, yeah, definitely Diggersby, though.
2: So, I have to capstone this a little bit. I really like the ghost Pokemon introduced in this, even Aegislash. I'm sad that Aegislash is Ubers because I can't use it.
0: Is Was there another ghost introduced in Gen 6 other than the Aegislash one? Yes, the grass, the grass
2: ghost oh, ones. And oh. I love those ones.
0: Yeah, that's fair. Um, Pumpkaboo and Gorgeist are really cool. Trevenant, I have mixed feelings on Trevenant. I like it, but... I. I it's not good enough to like it because it's great, and it's not cool enough looking to love it because it's cool. Like, I like Fantump, I think, more than I like Trevenant, but uh. Phantump is great. But, but Pumpkaboo and Gorgeist are both fantastic. I love them a lot. It's,
2: so, I'm primarily, you know, waterflying love, but Ghost Grass, I just love the typing.
0: It's pretty neat. It's pretty interesting. guys, Jolly from the future, just cutting into your regularly scheduled program, because I was editing this episode, and I realized that I had done myself an injustice, and this absolutely cannot stand. Um, I listed Diggersby as my favorite Kalos Pokemon, with Florgis being a very close second, and I like those Pokemon a whole lot, but that's a total lie, actually. Like, they're both really, really good, but my favorite Kalos Pokemon is actually Tyrant, and I'm so angry at myself For forgetting that. I am my brain has shifted so far to competitive Pokemon that I forget that unevolved forms are a thing sometimes. And I like Tyrantrum just fine, but Tyrant is maybe the perfect Pokemon and definitely my favorite fossil period. Ever. It is such a good little snugly bubbly T Rex boy, and I just want to love him forever. Um, yeah, I'm not going to gush anymore because we already talked about like good Pokemon and Kalos a lot. There's a lot of real good ones, but I just had to correct the record Tyrant best boy. Jolly out. All right, so let's talk a little bit about the meat and potatoes of Pokemon X and Y. We've talked about, like, how they did in the fandom and how they made us feel, but let's talk about what they actually did and introduced and contributed to the series. So... First and foremost, uh, and by far the most obviously, Pokemon X and Y saw Game Freak break from the established formula of sprite-based primarily 2D graphics. For the first time in a main series Pokemon game, the creatures themselves were not represented by 2D sprites, but in full three-dimensional rendered model glory. And again, to be clear, this is not a change that was universally loved. I didn't love it, certainly. Uh, but there's no denying how massive an undertaking creating high resolution models for all 649 existing Pokemon, in addition to the 70 some odd new faces in the series was. And, and those models were, were famously ridiculously high resolution in comparison to what the 3DS could actually use in order to be future proofed. And well, we know we know how future-proof they actually were. We know how that story ends, uh, but the thought counts, right? <laughs> <laughs> In addition to the monsters themselves, the characters and the environments of X and Y are fully 3D as well, and uh, movement is now on an eight-directional grid instead of the traditional four-directions. So remember, when you inevitably get to an ice puzzle and you're like, where the fuck does this thing want me to go? You can move diagonally in this game, which is a (laughs) new thing. Um, uh, In addition, when riding the new roller skates or the old favorite bicycle, you come off that grid altogether and move freely, which is important Of things to come. Again, X and Y is kind of this weird middle ground between Pokemon as it was before and Pokemon as it's going to be in the future, and this is one area where that is very clear because in just the next generation, we're off the grid entirely. Speaking of Shades of Things to Come, we see in X and Y our first instance of rideable Pokemon in the world, though certainly not our last. Uh, Whether it's hopping fences on a Skiddo, crossing rocky terrain on a Rhyhorn, surfing Ash-style on a Lapras, or busting on through with Mamoswine, this feature, which is prominent in future titles, debuted here in Kalos. Pokemon X and Y saw the continued experimentation of bottom screen functionality, and what I would personally argue is the best use of the bottom screen to date. Fight me, Rotom Dex. <laughs> Although it is improved upon in the same generation with Omega Ruby Alpha Sapphire, it, it's still the same core functionality we saw generally in X and Y. In X and Y, the bottom screen can be home to Pokemon Ami, a new minigame allowing you to play with and bond with your Pokemon in a direct and real way outside of combat for basically the first time ever, and it's really, really good. Being able to just pet your Pokemon, just give it pets and feed it cakes—it's it's such a no-brainer win, and it's it's fantastic. Um, you can also set your bottom screen to Super Training, which is a new mini game, making it easier than ever to train effort values. Thank you, Papa Masuda. Papa bless. Lastly, you have the option to use your bottom screen for the PSS, which is the best implementation of online multiplayer functionality in a Pokemon game ever. Um, As part of the PSS suite, you get access to the tragically named O-Powers, which are (laughs) a social based power up system, which I shit you not, is taught to you by a strange grown up man in a purple suit who calls himself Mr. Bonding and speaks to you in hotel rooms. You can't make this shit up. (laughs) That's another what-the-fuck moment from my first playthrough of Pokemon Y. Uh, Pokemon X and Y with the PSS is also the first ever implementation of Wonder Trade, which is a now-beloved and iconic social feature of the series where you send out a selected Pokemon to trade randomly with someone somewhere in the world for whatever garbage they happen to catch on Route 1. Um, It's also (laughs) worth noting that without Wonder Trade, there could not be the Wonder Lock, which is one of the most popular Nuzlocke variants in the fandom, like started here, had to start here. This is where we got one to trade, so that's pretty neat.
2: I swear, whoever designed the PSS at Game Freak needs to start designing more UIs. Damn it!
0: We'll talk about this when we get to Sun and Moon, but the the Festival Plaza made me so angry coming oh off of the PSS. <laughs> it, uh, why do we need a whole new area
1: to do these functions? You know how it went. The guy who designed the PSS said, "I did this great thing," and they said, "Well, this is usable and helpful. You're fired." <laughs>
0: <laughs> <sighs> oh, that's a giant tangent. I'm sorry, but you, uh, yes. uh, no, you're you're right. It's bad. It's real bad. Like it's it's so frustrating when Pokemon does it right. They give us the good thing, and then they immediately go, "You never need to see that again." Though we're not. And then
2: <laughs> Sword and Shield went back slightly, but they did it
0: worse. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's what, here's a code you have to type in. What the fuck? Two steps forward, one step back, and three to the side in a direction that makes no goddamn sense whatsoever. That's the Game Freak way.
1: In a, in a boardroom, like literally in a boardroom, someone was like, we're going to figure out the multiplayer functionality. And someone was like, but what if we did it in a carnival?
0: And then eventually uh, Team Rocket came to take it. <laughs> now when it comes to battling pokemon x and y were a mixed bag removing battle modes like triple and rotation battles uh, likely due to hardware limitations of so many 3d models on the screen at the same time uh, but adding in sky battles which can be exclusively participated in by flying and levitating pokemon and wild horde encounters which pit your pokemon against five Comparatively low-level wild Pokemon all attacking you at once, and can be goddamn terrifying in a Nuzlocke scenario. So we have that to look forward to. Thank you, Papa (laughs) Masuda. Generation 6 is also extremely notable for introducing the modern iteration of the EXP share, where previously this was a held item that allowed the Pokemon holding it to receive 50% of battle EXP and reducing the participating Pokemon to 50% battle EXP as though they swapped out, even though the Pokemon holding the EXP share did not have to go into the battle to do this. Um, Starting in X and Y and carrying forward through the series, it now gives your entire party halved experience while it is turned on without reducing EXP points for the Pokemon that participate. Uh, This is a huge Huge and polarizing change uh, with many fans who dislike the later generations decrying the decrease in difficulty Uh, supporters and myself I will lump myself in with the supporters here uh, however we would rightly point out that grinding is not difficult it is only tedious and the modern EXP share does less to decrease difficulty and more to respect your time which is something that as an adult with things to do I can appreciate and hey you can turn it off Yeah, yeah. Until until Sword and Shield, you can turn it off.
2: Um, Oh my god, don't even get into that. (laughs) That made me so angry.
0: Now, these are all small potatoes compared to the big three features introduced in Pokemon X and Y, which are still being felt to this day. The most understated of which is Trainer Customization. Being able to dress and style your character to fit your tastes, to cut and color their hair and their eyes is such an intrinsically compelling option suite. It is almost impossible to imagine Pokemon today without this ever expanding feature that we first laid hands on in the Kalos region. I'd say personally, this was a big part of the reason I didn't enjoy playing Oras is going back to just playing as fucking Brendan after playing as me felt intrinsically bad.
1: I mean, playing as Brendan feels intrinsically bad regardless of where <laughs> you're coming yeah, from. Yeah, Brendan
0: is just awful. So, Like, you should just pick May. The, the, the plus of playing as Brendan is that you never have to talk to Brendan. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but like, you are Brendan. <laughs> Look, look, I control what comes out of my Brendan's mouth. (laughs) That's all I'm saying. You don't control his thoughts. I do, actually. Thank you. (laughs) Um, Kalos also introduced us to the fairy typing, the first new type added to Pokemon since steel type and dark type in gold and silver 14 years prior Uh, notably fairy types were not exclusively new pokemon with many old favorites being discovered to be fairies all along Uh, including generation one favorites like clefairy and well favorite is a strong word for mr mime but also mr mime (laughs) it's also to me it is just incredibly amusing on a basic level that pokemon that were always normal type and thus weak to fighting suddenly became fairy type and resistant to fighting overnight and it's just like I don't know, science, man.
2: (laughs) They had an X-gene. They mutated. They just learned what they were and became resistant.
0: <laughs> yeah, they were just like, oh, actually, fuck your muscles, Conkelder. I don't care. Um, <laughs> fairy types were introduced to balance the then overpowered typings of dark, fighting, and especially dragon. And after playing black and white and black and white two, it is not hard to understand why uh, those were must have types on any team because they were so strong. Uh, what is hard is to overstate how important this change was to the direction of the franchise and how impactful the fairy type remains to it to, to today. Like the last two generations have featured incredibly prominent and incredibly powerful fairy type legendaries that have been dominant on the competitive scene uh, because it's a great typing and it's just, it's just good. Um, and X and Y gave that to us.
1: Yeah. And I mean, it also made other types like poison and steel more valuable on teams because they were so prominent and are so prominent, which really wasn't the case. In the past, Poison was like the red stepchild of like, the <laughs> typing chart.
0: Poison was down there with Bug for a long time. Um, and, and yeah, uh, Fairy did a lot to kind of change its fate. Uh, it's also worth noting that as Steel became more offensive with the addition of Fairy type, it also became a little bit less defensive in that it lost its inherent resistances to Ghost and Dark. Which, again, overall, I think was much better balanced because it was so, so fucking difficult to just hit steel types. And and that became much like it's still true. Steel is still an excellent defensive typing, but it's much easier to deal with steel with neutral hits now than it ever was before. And I think that's overall a positive thing. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Um, now, lastly, and th- with the highest possible profile, Pokemon X and Y introduced one of the most controversial and polarizing features to date, beyond evolution, Mega Evolve. Uh, Mega Evolution is a unique state where a a Digimon, I mean a Pokemon, uh, temporarily transforms in the heat of battle, uh, increasing overall stats and sometimes changing the Pokemon's ability or even their typing. Pokemon must hold their corresponding Mega Stone to Mega Evolve, denying the use of other powerful held items, uh, and their trainer must wear a Keystone. Uh, Not all Pokemon are able to Mega Evolve, and notably, for better or worse, none, zero of the new Pokemon introduced in X and Y benefited from the new form introduced in X and Y. It went exclusively to older Pokemon, primarily those from Generations 1 through 3. And while it is... In fairness, easy to understand why they were addressing power creep primarily. The, the flip side of that argument is they were addressing power creep by giving Mewtwo two different goddamn mega evolutions. <laughs> Definitely some questionable decision making here overall, but whether you love it or hate it, you probably have very strong feelings about mega evolution.
1: Same boardroom, but what if Mewtwo was a kicky boy? <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, he's a pun. Have you seen those arms though? <laughs>
2: Mewtwo. Punch. I don't want to be kicked or punched by Mewtwo X. <laughs> Mega Evolution, the plus Ultra of Pokemon. I mean, it it's, really fucking is. It's
0: it's it's, it's Digilution it's it's Digilution. Digivolution What 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 a Digimon do? Uh, it's Digivolve. What? The Digivolve guys. That's what it is. Like a diggery do they, they stopped beating around the bush and being like, "What if we just? What if we just took this from Digimon though?" And then they did, and it was fine.
2: Weren't Digivolve just the same thing as evolution, though? Not a lot. A lot of
0: them were, like, temporary forms. A lot of, like, Mm. once you got past, like, the little baby I'm an Agumon stage, they didn't stay that way.
2: I only played the PlayStation game that was horrible because every time I played it, my Digimon would turn into poop.
0: Well, also every like every game has way different mechanics in that series, which makes it hard to like follow them. But like, yeah, especially like if you follow the anime and shit, yeah, they don't stay. Like, like Agumon does not stay a Greymon or a War Graymon. He stays an Agumon forever, and occasionally is like, I'm bad. Rawr.
2: And <laughs> they gotta keep the cute
0: somehow. Yeah, you know, you know, it's they're Digimon. It's Digimon. It's fine. <laughs> so. Now, we've talked a lot about our other favorites in regards to these games, but this, in regards to Mega Evolution, this is a feature that people really identify with. So let's take a few to talk about it. Uh, Guys, doing our best to to keep it specifically to those introduced in X and Y, there are later introduced Mega Evolution. Uh, Who is your favorite Mega, and and how do you feel about the mechanic overall? Honestly, I
2: really like the Gardevoir line and the mega Gardevoir line made Gardevoir very very viable in uh, PvP and I love that line so much
1: yeah so mega Evolution is something that I really enjoyed I thought it was really cool to see alternate versions of certain Pokemon especially where some of the megas were so different than the base like version for competitive. Like that was really fascinating to have a Pokemon that Mega evolves, and the niche is like totally flipped on its head. Um, however, my favorite Mega is Mega Venusaur. I have a Poker- uh, like a terrarium, uh, in a Pokeball on my desk. of Mega Venusaur. It's so fat, and it just don't care about nothing, and I love <laughs> it. It's just like y- you got cold, you got hot, no care. Too fat.
0: Mega Venusaur is extremely good, and and I do not enjoy playing literally anything against you when you have it. So, for what that is worth, <laughs> <laughs> I Mega Evolution is interesting because even in X and Y, like it introduced a lot of really like good and notable and cool like strong bug types, which is always something that I'm super down for. Like, you know mega heracross is heracross is my favorite pokemon and mega heracross is really cool it's probably the worst of the three introduced in x and y but it's still really good skill link with access to rock blast and pin missile and Seed bomb like that's really wide coverage that hits incredibly hard that's three moves with 125 effective base power coming off a monster attack stat um likewise mega pincer Gets flying typing and aerially, which is rad. Rad as hell. Um, Especially, like, if you can come in with Moxie up before you Mega Evolve, pick something off Quick Attack, get a plus one attack, and then Mega Evolve. Like, you're a monster. You're hitting with flying type return and Quick Attack for stupid damage. And obviously, Mega Scizor is defining. Through all the generations where Mega Evolution is a thing, in singles gameplay, Mega Scizor is one of the very best. Always. It's so good. It's so fat. It has access to Roost. It has great defensive typing. It's a great mod. None of those are my favorite Mega. My favorite Mega is the one that is just so stupidly offensive that it carried me to victory in our very first draft. And that is Mega Metacham. It's so good. It's so fucking good. I can't overstate how good Mega Medicham is. It hits so so hard. It's dumb. And it has coverage for literally everything. It has priority. It's reasonably... Like, it's fast enough that you can't just sleep on it outspeeding you. And even if you outspeed it by a mile, it has priority to hit you hard and things like Fake Out and Bullet Punch. It is a monstrously strong pokemon i love it extremely deeply it's it's just great it's it's a great design like all the ribbon hands that it has floating off it's it's great i i love it i, I love it in a way that i never loved metacham which i think is the strength of mega evolution
1: yeah it, there are some really good like visual design stuff with megas and Like, it was really cool to see the developers go back to Pokemon that didn't have all these mechanics at all and say, if we were making this today, like, what would we make to make this cool or make this good? And it's amazing. Like, some of the stuff that's there that's now gone forever, (laughs) which is really sad in some cases, Mega Beedrill, I'm looking at you.
0: (laughs) I I would argue, though, it's not gone forever. It's just where it lives. It's in the generations where it was present. And that's not an inherently bad thing.
1: Yeah, I know what you mean, but it's it's something that I enjoyed a lot. Although, as a point of note, Mega Kang, I don't know who thought it was a great idea to be like, you know our game that's kind of like dogfighting, where we take a sentient creature and make it attack other things? What if that creature made its baby attack things?
0: Kung fu baby! <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's a trainer commanding a Pokemon commanding a child. <laughs> Just. The line all the way down.
0: Uh, it's wild. I, I am probably the least on board with mega evolution of anyone on this call on this show. I I think it's good, and, and I think that much like Gen Six as a whole, much like Kalos, of the generational gimmicks. Like we'll talk later about obviously things like 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 Z moves and and Dynamax and Gigantamax. Those will have their own moment in the spotlight. But of those type of big battle gimmicks introduced in a new generation. I like Mega Evolution the least. I think that it is the most artistic and the most artistically pleasing, and that has a lot of value. But it's so incredibly like centralizing and polarizing to the game, because such a small pool of Pokémon have access to megas and you always want a mega no matter what format you're playing what you're doing you want a mega evolving pokemon on your team because they are that good there's no reason not to have one and that means you are inherently building off of this very small list of pokemon for all of their flaws and they've all got their own any Pokemon can hold a Z-Crystal and use a Z-Move. Some of them have, like, proven strategies where they do it really well. But anything can do it, and there's always a chance that you are going to be the person who innovates and finds a cool new strategy you can pull off with that, that Z-Crystal. It It happens. <laughs> St. June Park 1 worlds with a Pachirizu It happens
1: S- Steven's watching me get more and more disgusted While he talks about <laughs>
0: Z-moves on this show I hate Z-moves so much We'll talk about that in Sun and Moon and, and the same is true of Dynamax Like only certain Pokemon get Gigantamax forms But not even all of those forms are inherently better than not using them And anything can Dynamax um, I think that Dynamax is probably the best And best balanced of those mechanics Fight me nerds
1: Agreed I, I don't disagree with you on balance. Yeah, that's that's one hundo.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, I... There are problems inherent with all of them. And I, I like Megas from a deep place for, again, the cool models and, and the experience. But I think that it is a... An obviously flawed mechanic. I understand why Game Freak have moved away from it in recent games, and and I think that the game is healthier without it. As sad as I am to see my good prickly pincer boy and my uh, my floaty ribbon fucking child go the way of the Dodo bird. <laughs> I love how.
1: Listeners to the show will understand that you and I stand on opposite sides of things most of the time, and it really comes down to technical expertise versus artsy bitch. <laughs> 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 that's, that's just the whole thing. What, Anna, why do you like this? It looks cool, it looks great. Like, clearly, somebody put a lot of love into that design and, and thought, but it's unbalanced bullshit, though. So,
0: <laughs> again, we're not disagreeing on any fundamental points. It's just a matter of where does the weight lie.
2: Yeah. To be fair, all three mechanics are kind of unbalanced and cause issues.
0: I mean, they've all they've all got their problems, certainly, and and, and they all will because they're trying new and big and bold things. But I would argue that they have gotten successively better as they have tried. Yep.
2: I'm interested to see what the next try is, though. But that one. Be a later discussion. Every Pokemon becomes a clown. They're that's all they're they're, oh no. they're all
0: big all oh the no. time, and you pick one to make small.
2: Pokemon. Pokemon <laughs> Mime. Everything is Mr. Mime. Oh no. Oh no. That's that's danger.
1: Uh, you can mime any Pokemon, it will become a barrier-making asshole.
0: <laughs> Alright, well, hopefully we have wet your whistle for the Kalos region and our X and Y series, but now as always, we want to talk about our Game, The game that we are playing together collectively. And if you've been following the show for any amount of time, you should know by now that between series, and we had a pretty lengthy between series this time, we sit down and we hash out our our rule set that we just used, what worked and what didn't, what we'd like to try, and we put something together. But now that it's been a while since we ran our last series, it's probably worth taking a moment to touch briefly on the rule set that we've used in its most recent form. Uh, in its most recent form, we played with standard Nuzlocke rules, only catching the first encounter on a given route, modified by things like Dupes Claws and Shiny Claws. Uh, when a Pokemon faints, it's dead, can't use it ever again, and you have to nickname your Pokemon. Um, we also have our point system with uh, built-in catch-up points from behind with what we call hard mode Gyms, which is adding the stipulation of no super effective moves to a given gym. And that point system in its entirety can be viewed at our website, by the time this comes out, almost certainly uh, over at BlastBurnRadio.com, thank you very much to Anna, who's been putting in long hours in making that into a real thing instead of a thing that we've always said, hey, we should do that, and then not done that. Um, so thank you. <laughs> thank you, Anna. We also recently experimented with a ban phase where we each got to choose an evolutionary line that was just removed from play entirely. Um, and then again, Dupes clause, which is a Pokemon does not count as your encounter if it is if you've already caught something in its direct evolutionary line, up to five encounters before you get nothing. And then Shiny Claws, which is if you encounter a shiny Pokemon, you must catch it and you must use it. Um, we also have not allowed for Actively used healing items in battle, though you can use held items, including berries and leftovers, which heal. Um, we also, when we do PvP on every episode, we show an eight Pokemon roster and bring six of those to each individual PvP match. We've had three instances of doubles PvP matches per season, uh, which in recent seasons have been episodes two, five, and eight. Um, and then, of course, we have our finale rules, which is rather than having a hard level limit at the end of the gym, we have a hard level limit going in to whatever end game gauntlet there is in Kalos. It will be an Elite Four. Um, and then whatever survives comes to PvP. There is no expanded PvP roster for the finale. Um, lastly, last season, Anna was the reigning champion and said her champion's rule, which was that the gym was to be tackled as a gauntlet with no leaving to train or visit the Pokemon Center in between, and that all gym trainers must be cleared in that process. So I'll I'll cover what's
1: changing because we do have some stuff. We we change things every season. This section is called How Much Do We Hate Ourselves? (laughs) <laughs> um, every year so mostly we're happy with the rule set like one of the nice things about doing seven seasons of this is that we've had an opportunity to refine and refine and refine and we keep what's good and we get rid of what's not but there are a couple of things that have been kind of like nagging at us for a little bit uh, and some some stuff that's just relevant to uh, X and Y versus Black and White 2's challenge mode specifically so Let's talk about Ban Phase. So the purpose originally of Ban Phase was to address the fact that we would reuse Pokemon over and over and over and over again because a lot of specific Pokemon are very prominent in multiple regions and they're just really good. And you get access to them at various points in the game and we would all use them because encounters are sometimes, you know, pretty limited in certain certain routes and areas. Um, So we put in the ban phase and the franchise tag stuff to try and diversify the teams. That was the goal. And while we think that the ban phase and the franchise tags did that, there were a lot of problems with those things. Like, doing franchise tags early just made things, like, s- super complicated and that you didn't feel necessarily, like, the attachment to that Pokemon. Like, it didn't capture that idea. The ban phase was complex because, you know... If we institute it midway through the season, like, it could be used inappropriately. If you do it at the beginning, it's like, well, what am I going to get on Route 17, you know? Like, it's just challenging. So, we decided to scrap those things. They're gone. (laughs) Whoosh! I have thrown them away. Uh, what we are implementing in its its place is actually something we are borrowing from a fan of the show who's been with us a long time. Um, most of you, if you are in our Discord community, will be familiar with Miss Darzard. She's a Twitch streamer um, who does Nuzlocke content and VGC content. The Sheep Queen of VGC, as it were. And she does a Hall of Fame clause which states that if your Pokemon got into the Hall of Fame in a previous season, it cannot be used again in another region. For her, those Pokemon are, are, are lost forever. They can never be be used ever again. Uh, for us, we're making a slight change to this, in which if we revisit an area, uh, a region specifically, like if we ever go back to Unova, your Hall of Famers can unretire the jersey as it were and you can you can run with them again this is their their home turf their home court and they can come back but anywhere else michael jordan about can it. come
0: back for the bulls he cannot come back for the for the wizards
1: yes exactly <laughs> um so we are keeping we went we went back stephen went back and found all all the hall of famers all the mvps like all all the best of the best and we have that recorded because they're, they're persona non grata in Kalos. <laughs> Cause we've never been to Kalos before. Also, as a point of note, we're reverting back to no research except for the Elite Four and our evil team boss. Uh, because if you remember for challenge mode, we had a moratorium on the no research because it was fucking hard and we didn't want to wipe every week because it'd be very bad. Um, but now we're at friendly Kalos, friendly, easy Kalos. We can handle it, right? Nah, hope it's so. gonna be bad. <laughs> um, we're also keeping my role from last season. Um the the gym Gauntlet added a layer of difficulty and thought that was not brutalizing, uh, but it did make us uh it added something, and we're, we're happy to keep that. So those are going to be staying around. There's also a few series-specific considerations, as there always are. So I'm going to turn it back over to Steven to talk about the XY-specific stuff and how we're handling them for the rule set.
0: Yeah, Um I do want to take just another quick moment to talk about the the Hall of Fame clause because there are – one important thing to note is, unlike Dari's Twitch stream, which huge shout out to Dari! Thank you very much for being the person you are and being our friend, um, and and allowing us to shamelessly steal your shit. Um, <laughs> check her out: Twitch.tv/slash Miss Darizard. Uh, but Dari is one. Twitch streamer, which means if something weird comes up in her streams, that's like, well, how do I interpret this with this clause? She can just make a judgment because it's her clause. It's her run. She can do what she wants to do. We are in a competitive series against each other, which means we all kind of need to agree on those things, which means we thought through as many of them as humanly possible. And we're not going to cover every contingency here because they're not all important. But uh, a couple of things to note is... We are interpreting the Hall of Fame to be anything that is entered into the Hall of Fame computer at the end of the run. With if there is one, like obviously if the run ends on red or something, that there's but you know, that that is in the team at the end of the successful run, even if it is dead, which means if you brought something into the Elite Four, it died in the process, it is still a part of your Hall of Fame team. So Columbia, my my jumpluff from season two, who got eaten by red Snorlax is part of my hall of fame, even though she did not survive that encounter because we made it through red. She was on the team. Um, also, Everyone's consensus MVP from that season, which means two of the three of us said, that is your team MVP is also banned, which in most cases, that is something that was already in the hall of fame, but it's notable because if you wiped out, nothing goes in the hall of fame. And so this is a mechanic that intentionally favors people who have struggled to successfully complete runs. They have more options. You know, it's, it's a soft catch up mechanic, right? But this prevents them from getting to use everything again. Like even if your run ended, you had something that was excellent and deserved merit. And that Jersey is still retired as it were. Um, and if you're curious as to who everyone's MVP was from each season, who was in the hall of fame, who is banned from this next series, all that information is on a spreadsheet that I will be sharing publicly with the community in the BBR discord. So you can look for that. Actually, by the time this episode comes out, it might already be live. So that's a cool thing. It'll also be up on the website. Yeah. So you can check out that information publicly if you want to know who is or is not available to me or Anna or Celeste. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's a really interesting new rule. It has a lot of facets. But I think it's going to be really good and exciting. And hopefully it's the last time we are ever going to have to touch team diversification as, as a part of our rule set.
1: As a point of note, shining Claus trumps all all the time. Yes. So – that's the thing to remember.
0: Anything that makes an encounter fateful because there's something else we're going to talk about today that, that it kind of quasi fateful encounters that also trumps this rule. As far as X and Y stuff, there are interesting mechanics in Pokemon X and Y that we had to account for. And one that we had to talk about was EV training specifically, because there's a couple of weird things with EV training in X and Y. Super training makes it to where you can EV train without battling anything, which means there is even less risk than there is in going to fight level two Poochianas. It also means that there is no risk of encountering a bad shiny while EV training, which historically a lot of our shinies that we pick up by shiny claws come while EV training. Uh, On the flip side of that point, hordes and horde battles have an increased shiny rate, which means if you choose to do your shiny hunting by horde battle, you are increasing the chance you're going to find a shiny, which for someone who's had a bad run and is running out of bank options might present a temptation to bend the rules and hunt for a shiny to fill up their roster.
1: As a point of note, you said if you do your shiny hunting... If you do your EV <laughs>
0: training, I think you meant EV training. EV training. Yeah. yeah, well, that's like, horde battles are kind of shiny hunting, right? Like, that's, that's a thing. Uh, but yeah, they're also great for EV training. Um, obviously five Pokemon that each give one EV give five EVs per battle, ten with Macho Brace. That's not nothing. So we had to decide if these things are even allowed or if we're still grinding against level two Puchianas in the grass. And ultimately, where we landed is, We do a lot of EV training for this show, and the fact that they chose an X and Y to make EV training easier and less time intensive is a legitimate quality of life feature that we should take advantage of. And so neither of these methods are off the board. We have a gentle person's agreement not to abuse horde battles to intentionally shiny hunt, but otherwise, like, if you're, if you're horde battling for EVs and you encounter a shiny, that's your shiny guy. Go get it. (laughs)
1: i can already see the the nightmare that's approaching
0: yeah um but yeah those methods are entirely on the board we are playing these games as they are meant to be played it was an intentional thing that they made ev training easier we're not just again this is not the pain olympics we're not torturing ourselves for the joy of it um likewise i think it falls i'm sorry go ahead celeste
2: i think it falls more on grinding is not part of the challenge it's more of a uh, respecting your time thing yeah, so. exactly
0: 100 ev training is not hard it is tedious which time management is i think has always been resource management has always been a part of the challenge and that includes time management as my gen 4 ending demonstrates quite clearly um uh, but but i again they made a decision to make this less of a time intensive process we should respect that on the flip side of that we had we had to look at features like O powers and Pokemon ami, which just served to make the game inherently easier. And for O powers, the answer was simple: just no. We don't need O powers; they're creepy anyway. Don't don't do it. Just just say no. Just say no to Mister Bonding. Just walk out. <laughs> Pokemon Ami was a little bit more difficult for a number of reasons. Number one, it's an evolution method. For Sylveon specifically, you have to get, I believe it's three hearts in Pokemon Ami to evolve your Eevee into a Sylveon. And Sylveon's rad. Nobody wants to say, hey, you can't have a Sylveon. That fucking sucks. Um, but the other side of that is Pokemon Ami is so incredibly in line with the spirit of Nuzlocking. It's literally bonding with your Pokemon. Like it's spending time with them outside of ordering them to dogfight and just saying, Hey, I'm going to pet you and give you cakes and play fun games with you. And that's a good thing. And it feels good to do. But on the other hand, it gives you really tangible battle benefits, not the least of which is like a soft, sturdy, where when you're at full hearts, every now and again, your Pokemon just decides, Nah, I'm not dying. I love my trainer too much. And while that's hype, X and Y are already probably the easiest games in the series that we played, at least since Gold, Silver, Crystal. We don't need to make them easier. And as such, we will not be utilizing Pokemon Ami for battle benefits. If you want to hop in there and pet your Pokemon a couple good times because you love your Pokemon, that's fine, as long as you're not doing it so much that you're actually building the Ami stat from it. Um, likewise, if you get an Eevee and you want a Sylveon, you can boost a me enough to get a sylveon but beyond that we are we are not using it um it's worth noting that you can do one heart in a me with no gain benefits so if you're just like man i really want to pet this mon it's so fucking rad and you do it and it gets a heart and you're like oh fuck i broke the rules it's fine just don't go beyond that one unless it's an eevee that's the rule. As always, Ubers are banned in our series, and we had to examine that because there are a couple of Uber Pokemon available in gameplay in X and Y. Notably, Age of Slash. There are some others that are potentially available to us in the series, and we'll get to how and why a little bit later. Uh, but Age of Slash is going to work the same way that the, the the Ghibli, the Studio Ghibli line, has worked historically in, in Generation 4, where if you encounter a Honedge in the wild, You can choose to catch it, or you can choose to say, no, I don't want it. If you catch it, it cannot evolve past Dewblade. So when you're looking at that wild hone edge in the eyes, and you're like, man, you're a sword, and that's fucking rad, either you take it with the understanding that every light Dewblade is the best that thing will ever be, or you say, you know, I'd rather have a Pokemon I can use fully, and it does not count as dupes, it doesn't count against you whatsoever. You just keep on trucking. For the purposes of rival battle points, there are a lot of people who are... Theoretically, at least, your rival in Pokemon X and Y. Most of them are chumps. They are absolute chump change. Uh, we will not be awarding points for beating up on Tierno or taking uh, Trevor's lunch money. That's not a thing. Rival battle points are for Calum slash Serena only. There was an argument to be made for giving points for Shauna. We chose not to. If you're playing along and you decide you want Shauna to be worth points in your run, let your heart decide. Now, this is where things get interesting. Let's talk, let's talk about sky battles, ladies and gentlemen. Um, sky battles are battles in sky. They are battles that birds and things that fly or float can participate in exclusively. They are all optional, meaning that even if you walk right up to that trainer and he's like, Hey, do you want a sky battle? You can say no and walk away. That is a mechanical thing built into the game. I don't think they're a great mechanic in the history of the series, but they are definitely a unique mechanic to Generation 6. And it felt bad to play a series where we are all probably going to pass on doing all of them because they are incredibly high-risk, low-reward content. So we're not going to. Instead, we are going to incentivize them. We are going to reward you for doing them, but at a heavy risk. Sky Battles are going to be worth 20 points each which is almost as much as a PvP battle. Like, that's a that's a, that's a a fair amount of points. They are also full Nuzlocke battles, meaning that if you bring one flying-type Pokemon into a Sky Battle and you get got, you get ganked, you're done, you white out, you can't go, well, I have five other perfectly healthy Pokemon in my party. That wasn't a wipe. That's just, now Pidgey's dead. R.I.P. in peace, Pidgey. No, you white it out. Game over, man. You're going back and you're starting over. Have fun. This is probably... Aside from one or two pressure points in Unova, this is probably the single highest risk of wiping in the entire series. And also, you have to do them at the appropriate stage. You cannot come back be like, I'm just going to wait until the end of the series and go back and, and do a world tour and do all my sky battles. No, motherfucker. You do it when you're on that route or within a reasonable range of that cycle. I would say it's even bending, if not breaking the rules to wait until the end of the week when you're at level cap and be like, now let me dip back. And no, you should do it when you're there, unless you have to run to a Pokemon center to get a bird out. Like that's about the extent of the waiting you should do with a sky battle. There's a lot of risk here, like a lot. There's a lot of incentive to just leave those points on the table. But those points can be so meaningful if you're behind or you're trying to stay ahead. So I have a feeling we're going to be doing a lot of sky battles. And if history is any indication, we're not going to survive all of them. It.
2: No, it's going to be so bad.
0: <laughs> It'll be a shit show. It's going to be terrible.
2: <laughs> it's going to be so bad.
0: Uh, uh, now let's talk mega evolution. Uh, mega evolution is allowed in this series. Uh, again, it's another thing we had to look at where we're like, well, it makes the game easier, but also it is a key feature of this generation. It feels out of. Sp- the spirit of our series to ban it. That being said, there are only about seven Megastones available to you in core gameplay in Kalos. Two of those are for Uber Pokemon, for Mega Lucario and Mega Gengar. We're not allowing Mega Gengar, at least certainly, because Mega Gengar is the worst. It's the dirt worst. <laughs> it, uh, it has Shadow Tag, the same ability as Wobbuffet. Ain't nobody got time for that. We're not doing it. This severely limits your options. Also, even more strangling is that, like, the only ones that you can get and guarantee that you're going to have that Pokemon to Mega Evolve are your Kanto gift starter. And if you choose to get it, Aerodactyl. Because you can choose to revive Aerodactyl and get an Aerodactylite. Everything else is an encounter that you may or may not get. This is incredibly centralizing to team building and encounter pursuit. If we allowed these and only these Megas, as is written, we would all take Aerodactyl, for instance. No one would even look at Tyrant or Amora because, well, Aerodactyl is another Mega option. I have to have that. So I'm taking it. And that feels bad. So, the only megas we will be allowing in core gameplay that we pick up in core gameplay in X and Y are the Kanto starters, which we will be selecting by draft. Um, things like Mega Aerodactyl, Mega, Mega, Lu- well, Mega Lucario is off the board entirely because it's an Uber, but, but, Yeah, Mega Aerodactyl, Mega Ampharos, Mega Abomasnow, even though they're available in gameplay, we will not be taking them. There is a way that we could potentially use those Pokemon, and we'll talk about that shortly. But the only ones that we will be taking of our own volition is our Kanto starters, and we'll be drafting them with a randomly generated draft order. Lastly, a couple of very small notes. It has been in our rule set literally since it was... in. Incepted, uh, But we are observing for the first time Pidgey Claws. Um, the first encounter of Pokemon X and Y is scripted. It is always in the same row of grass. It is always a Pidgey. Because it is a scripted encounter that is not your first encounter on that route, you will KO it or run away from it. And the next encounter is your valid Nuzlocke encounter. The point of the rule set is to be random. A scripted Pidgey is not random. Lastly, there is a static Snorlax on Route 7 blocking your way to the grass. As has been previously established, if you want an encounter from the grass instead of that Snorlax, you just have to declare that before you battle. Said Fat Boy, uh, except for Anna, who has Snorlax in her Hall of Fame, and thus no Fat Boy for you.
1: Yeah, Fat's already exists in Legend.
0: I don't. I don't need another one. <laughs> <laughs> now, lastly, as always, our champion for our previous series gets to set a a, a fairly generally fairly impactful rule for the next series, and I. This guy, I took my second Unova crown. So I will be setting that rule this time. And it's kind of complicated. Mine tend to be. I'm not going to like that's that's kind of how I roll here. Uh, But I think it's going to be really fun and interesting. So if you are a part of BDR spaces, if you've been around for a while, you might have noticed me shouting about eggs. And being like, why, why, Jolly, why, why the eggs? Why are you down on your hands and knees begging for eggs? Well, dear listener, I will tell you. I have talked before on this very podcast about how Griffin McElroy's Pokemon Y Nuzlocke for Polygon was incredibly formative for me as a content creator and for this podcast. And so, I always wanted when we got to X and Y to kind of pay homage to that and, and how I always wanted to do it was by following one of the fairly unique rules that Griffin followed in his Y Nuzlocke, which was after every successful gym, he had to take one of the Pokemon that he brought into the gym and wonder trade it away for whatever trash people decided to send him. And it was almost always trash. He got a couple of good breed checks but by and large, it was garbage.
1: That Padu was great. He hated it. <laughs> yes,
0: he hated it so much because he's like, ah, level one Padu, what the fuck? But that was clearly a Breedject, And it was incredible. But yeah, I, like I always was like, well, that's what I want to do for our series. That is not possible for our series. I will neither confirm nor deny the use of the devil's hardware or the devil's software in in the production of Blastburn Radio. But for reasons that shall remain vague, we are unable to make use of official Nintendo online services like Wonder Trade. And that bummed me out. But I thought about it and I was like, you know, you know what else is really neat that people do for their YouTube adventures? They do egg locks which is where you have boxes and boxes and boxes of eggs and every encounter gets traded for an egg that was sent in by like someone in your community. And that's really cool. And we had talked about doing an egg lock specifically for heart, gold, soul, silver back when we were going to take the remake games and do like variant rule sets for that. And that didn't happen. So I was like, okay, I've got both of these ideas. What if I Reese's peanut butter cup? You got peanut butter in my chocolate. You got chocolate in my peanut butter. What if I smoosh them together into something new and delicious? And so that is what we are doing. We asked you, the community, to send us eggs. Those eggs are now loaded into a box in our individual save files, the eggs that you guys sent in for us. After every successful gym, we will take one of the living Pokemon that went through that gym with us. It will go in the box forever, forever retired, living in peace in the egg box, and out will come one of those randomly selected eggs and what hatches out, we will use. So we, we, we will have the option of using. <laughs> I want to be very clear: these are these are semi-fateful encounters in that they, they they trump all other rules other than ubers. Right? As long as it is not an uber, you can use it, even if it's part of your hall of fame or otherwise. There's a reason that you shouldn't. It's a dupe's. You have the option to call dupe's clause if you want to, but you don't have to. If it comes out of an egg, you can use it. But because of the magic of the internet, our eggs have nicknames, so we'll be using your nicknames as long as they're not something that makes us feel grody and uncomfortable. And they can hold items. Which means, one of the big flaws, one of the big complaints of Pokemon X and Y, is that it is the generation that introduced fairies. There are so few fairies available. It's the generation that introduced Mega Evolution. There are so few Megas available when you are playing the game. You guys can and did send us Mega Stones on those eggs. Which means... There's a very good chance that the MVP of our individual teams, the the great and powerful mega that will carry us through, is one that you guys sent us, and that's pretty fucking rad. We also, thanks to a generous campaign contribution, have access to a limitless supply of rare candies, which will not be used in gameplay because that is cheaty and hacksy and bullshit, and no one likes that. But... To keep this from being the worst rule ever, um, (laughs) we will be boosting whatever comes out of that egg up to the level of what it's replacing. So, again, quality of life feature for us, your your hosts and friends. If you notice, you're like, hey, you didn't actually train that thing and it's a lot higher. Yeah, it, it got, it got doped up to where it needs to be. It's fine. We're not just going to magically take it to level cap. If, if it's replacing a level three that we drug into the gym with us, guess what? It's level three. Gotta train it. Um, but, but we'll be using that to kind of split the difference so that we're not after our eighth gym staring at a level one, like incredible Pokemon that's level one and going, well, now I have to train you 50 fucking levels. We're not doing that. Rare candy time, baby. Again, this is a really complex rule. There's a lot of facets to it. And and we're probably going to have to explain bits of it as we go because it's probably going to be a little confusing. But we love it because it adds like that random element of fun to our series that we always love. Like the BBR Nuzlocke Challenge has never been a purely skill-based game. Like, there's always a chance that someone is just going to encounter that cool thing that's just way better than anything anyone else has to offer. And, and, <laughs> and just wreck house with it for weeks, right? Uh, that's always been a part of it. And, and this gives us that, but it also gives us a really great community aspect that we love. We love the fact that these eggs come from you guys, that you are sending stuff for us to use, whether it's great or terrible or somewhere in between. Um, and we're really excited to do it. Now – You might also be thinking, well, Jolly, Steven, I'm going to be playing along with you guys, and I don't have a box full of eggs. What do? What do no egg? How I do? Well, well, very confused listener, I have good news for you. Uh, Because first of all, if you're playing on original hardware, if you have your 3DS and your Pokemon X or Y cartridge, I would just encourage you to do the rule as I initially Conceived of it and just wonder trade something. Use the wonder trade feature. It's a core feature of X and Y, and it's perfectly in keeping with the spirit of this rule. If, however, you walk on the wild side with the devil's software, we have also put together a suite of community save files. Uh, save files with their own egg boxes with eggs that were curated by each of us individually. So if you are Team Anna, if you're an Anna fan, you like her as a creator and the teams that she tends to use, guess what? There's a whole box of Pokemon, which are almost exclusively like great standout favorites of her various Nuzlocke runs. There is the same for Celeste and there is the same for myself. Um, So that is a cool thing that you can look forward to. Uh, again, there will be a link to that in the description of today's episode and also in the BBR community discord.
1: So a point of note, something that we want to kind of put out there, like, the the point of doing cool things like this is that we can highlight them, right? So we're going to try really hard to have, like, at least a member of the team be someone that we got from an egg. Because we're going to have plenty of them by the end of the game to pick from.
0: Yeah, like, it, it was something we had to, like, really, really hammer down the balance of. Because, like, on the one hand, we don't want to remove team building choice from each other. Like, that's a really hard sell. Uh, because, like, for all we know, like... Everybody knows I love bugs. I could pull nothing but bug types out of my eggs and I would be perfectly happy and love each of them. But if by the end I'm running a mono bug squad <laughs> against like <laughs> against like two mega Charizards, like that's a problem, right? Um, and we don't want to do that to each other. But they are fateful encounters to the degree that we should always be using some of them. And to the degree that, again, they trump all other clauses that would prevent us from accepting them again each individual has the option to choose dupes if they already have that thing and they're like you know I really can't see a scenario like I'm already attached to to my sweet boy diggersby this diggersby is objectively better but I'm not going to bench mine for it then they can pull a different egg that's that's totally valid but you don't have to like if 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 you're rocking a very very terrible diggersby and you pull that good, huge power bundle bee out of the bank and you're like, fuck yes, you're my new best friend. You're, you're valid to do that. Um, it also again trumps Hall of Fame clause. Like you can send favorites from our Nuzlocke series. And if we pull them, we have the option to use them, which means that Anna could have yet another goddamn Gyarados sitting in that box waiting to make my life the most miserable it has ever been. Uh, it's, it's entirely possible. Um,
2: does this mean I get a drugs cube bone?
0: Maybe <laughs> if it's in there. It doesn't. You, you can't stuff its face full like Barry fucking Bonds again. The rule set has evolved beyond that. But you want a cube? Sure, you can have a cube bone if it's an egg. Fuck it, it's an egg. Um,
1: One of the very first lessons that we learned in this this show was don't allow Celeste to drug up her Pokemon.
0: Don't give Celeste even an inch in the rule set because she's not going to look at it and be like, well, that's not sporting. She's going to be like, eat the drugs. (laughs) I was so behind. (laughs) It was my first
2: Nuzlocke, and I was making so many mistakes. you got to give me now, that. Now, if you're
0: listening to this and you're really super excited, you're like, man, I can't wait to send you guys eggs. This is going to be so awesome. I am sad to inform you that because of the nature of our content creation schedule this time around, we we had to request these eggs weeks ago. And submissions are closed. The boxes are full. But if this rule is successful, if it is fun, if everybody enjoys using it, just like our other champion rules, there is a, a – a reasonable chance that it is going to recur so if you if you love egg let us know you love egg and also there will be future chance for egg so that's that's the thing
2: i already love the idea of egg so i hope it. thank works you well. for
0: taking your time with egg <laughs> Egg! All right. Uh, well, that's that's our <laughs> rule set. It took a little while this time because we had some some fairly complex points to get across. But I, I hope that you guys think it's as cool and exciting as we do and that you're excited for this series. Now, it is time once again, my friends, for our friends to choose their partners and friends that we'll be taking this new journey with. Uh, now, draft order is, of course, determined by performance in the previous series, which means that as our Black and White 2 Series 7 champion – undefeated in the land of Unova, I will get first choice. And ladies and gentlemen, I will remind you, I don't know if this is a joke we ever made directly on the podcast, but we've all made it separately on stream many times. So if you come out to stream, you're probably familiar that we have referred to on multiple occasions, black and white two as the race for not Chespin, because (laughs) we were all very clear that we wanted any starter, but Chespin. And so whoever came in third in black and white two would absolutely be stuck with Chespin. So with that in mind, I am happy to announce that with the first overall pick in the Pokemon X and Y draft, I am taking Chespin. <laughs> you motherfucker. Really? You, you're you're going
1: to really do this? I, I'm i glad that you're taking him, but you're also a piece of shit because now I need to, <laughs> now I need to decide between taking what is objectively the right choice and taking my good Fox girl because I came
0: in second um, oh my God. <laughs> so here's, here's the thing though. Like Chespin, again, Chespin is objectively not the best of these three starters. Is, is, there's a, a pretty strong argument to be made that out of the box as a gameplay starter is quite possibly the worst of the three. But the last slow and tanky grass type starter I used in our series was Mojito, who is a fucking legend. And. Like I look at that good little grass boy and I I see that seed of greatness. So we're gonna try and we're gonna see how it goes.
2: The legend of the spiky boy will happen.
1: Oh my goodness! You see, it's totally different. If if Stephen picks Froki and I have to choose between Chespin and Fennekin, that's not even a choice. That's like easy. Oh, fuck! <laughs> um, I'm taking. I'll take my good fox girl. I I talked her up. In our starter ranking episode, and if I don't take her, I'm going to regret it. So you I be a hypocrite do it.
0: and a coward, but I also can't believe that that we just handed Celeste Froakie in last place. What did we just say? I mean... You don't <laughs> hand
1: Celeste
2: anything. We hand her a Froakie two seconds later. You, you, you complained so much about Gustav. You can't complain about this Froakie if it starts running over you. You gave it to well, me.
0: Well, regardless... I don't think there has ever been a starter in the history of Pokemon as overpowered for the region it was designed for as the Swampert line is in Hoenn. So I'm I'm okay. Like look, Greninja is good. This is not a protean Greninja. It is not that good in comparison to Swampert and Hoenn. Fair. It's also very
1: frail early.
0: Yes. Not even just mm-hmm. early. It's it's just very frail like it always is. <laughs> Honestly, that's pa- that's part of the the defining factor in taking Chespin, honestly, because the same thing is true for Finnegan. Like, they're both very fragile Pokemon, which is not inherently the best thing in a Nuzlocke, and historically, where you two outplay me is in gameplay. So, Chestnut is unlikely to take a surprise crit and die in the same way that that Froakie and uh, and, and Finnegan are.
2: And You know what happens to me in Water Waterstarters?
0: We'll see how it goes, man. We'll see how it goes. Alright. Well, the the next step here, of course, is to select our game versions, which go in reverse order from performance in the last series. So Celeste, as the big doof, the big loser of series seven, this honor is once again yours. Which version uh, will you times. be experiencing Kalos with?
2: I'm gonna go with X, actually. For the chance at some of the mega choices, as well as going for that slurp up
0: well that tells me what Kanto starter you want because there's only one mega on our table that has a version difference uh so <laughs> i guess hopefully celeste does not get first pick of Kanto starters anna on to you girl you have your wide open choice which version are you gonna play
1: i think i'm gonna play y i just like yevril
0: <laughs> bacon bird bacon bird hot topic <laughs> I, I will say, I didn't talk about it when I was talking about X and Y, because there's just a lot to talk about. This is probably my favorite cover legendary trio in the entire series. Mine too. Like, I, I have a lot of complaints about Kalos overall. Mon design is very rarely one of them, and especially not with Xerneas, Yveltal, and Zygarde. They're all great Pokemon. Well, that leaves me wide open. I actually get my choice. And and that's, that's a little scary, honestly, because there are some good choices to be had here. It's also interesting for me because when looking at my Hall of Fame versus these encounter tables, like they're pretty evenly split. X and Y each have Electrike and, and Houndour. is an X, which I can't use, and that's a problem. But Heracross is in Y, which I can't use, which is also a problem, and sad because he's a good boy. I'm going to pick X, primarily because I have spent most of my time in Kalos in Y version, so let's uh, let's play with the different encounters. Let's do some different stuff. Now, lastly, as we mentioned previously, we'll be drafting our gift Kanto starters. This is a huge decision, frankly, because it is the only Mega we are guaranteed to get in gameplay, at least if we can keep that little fucker alive long enough to hit its final evolved form. We will be randomizing this draft order. I'm actually, I'm going to share my screen with you guys right now. And as you can see, I have a list randomizer on screen here. So we will just click this button and... Oh, fuck. (laughs) You
1: jinxed it, didn't
0: you? I did. Our draft order is Celeste and then myself and then Anna. Okay, Celeste, you have all options open to you. Tell us why you're taking Charmander.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I showed my hand there. Honestly, I kind of want to play with the Dragon Fire type. I'm very interested in seeing Charmander. It, It gives me an option of bulk or sweep. I don't know if it gets Dragon Dance or not. <laughs> I was just going
0: to say, I'm not going to give you the chance to take it back, Celeste. But no, it, it Dragon Dance is an egg move. It, is, it does not get Dragon oh, Dance. Oh,
2: great. It still has some good options to do other things.
0: It does. Fire Dragon is a legitimately great typing. It's only weak to ground and rock, I think. Yeah. Yeah, not much. Yeah, ground and rock. That's it. Like, that's not bad. That's not nothing. You have, however, left me in the really unenviable position of either taking Squirtle, which is my boy, my sweet boy, but is easily the worst of these three Megas. Mega Blastoise is is not as strong as the other two, or being Lettuce Man King of Lettuce and taking (laughs) dual grass-type starters. You need to do Lettuce King. Come on. You're also putting me in a position where if I take what is clearly the better option for my team building, I am handing Anna a Mega Venusaur, a thing that I just said I never want to do. But also, Anna called me on my bullshit by saying I have to honor my choices on the starter rankings. And guess where I put Squirtle, motherfucker? I put him at number one.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to battle with a fennec. Can you grab that fucking Squirtle?
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm taking I'm taking the fucking Squirtle. Here we go. <laughs> Enjoy your lettuce, friend, Anna, you fucker. I'm going to hate you for him. Oh, I! how did I end up with a Mega Venusaur with last pick? <laughs> Y'all are crazy. Celeste, you could have taken the Bulbasaur, and I could have taken the Charmander, and we could have left Anna with the Squirtle, but then I would have still been a goddamn It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. I love Squirtle. I wanted, I wanted the Charmander for
2: once. I'm sorry. Steven's
1: going to spend this entire fucking series just being like, I love
0: Squirtle. I love sword <laughs> Please, please, egg gods, please, all of you egg gods listening, have sent me good megas. Please, please, I would much rather use a blastoise than a mega blastoise. All things considered, so please, please, give megas, give egg, please. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm very interested. Um, I don't even know what they could send Jolly that make it worse.
0: I, Brain. I mean, there are things. Mega Obama Snow is a thing. And I mean, like I already—we haven't started playing, and my team is already the slowest possible thing alive.
2: <laughs> I'm excited for uh, that.
0: Uh, I'm I'm playing with the anima servier <laughs> team. It's just slow and fat as shit. <laughs> and Anna can't breathe over here. I've killed her. She's dead now. Oh, the poor girl. We will miss her on the podcast. She will be buried
2: next to her uh, mega Venusaur. I'm not going to lie. Just just the Charmander troll pick at the start was great either way. I mean, I can't be mad. I this also picked
0: Charmander as a troll off the top in Series 1. So was I off the top or was it you? Yeah, yeah you sniped Squirtle for me, and then I sniped Charmander. I still sniped Charmander, so I get it. It's fine.
2: And I kind of played my hand there, but it's funny. You did, you like, yeah,
0: I want the... I wasn't There's thinking. There's only two Megas with variant forms, and one of them is fucking Mewtwo. <laughs> so- I was just trying to think of what reasons why I would want X, and that was the first thing that came to mind. I was like, oh, crap. Well, you you got him. Enjoy Bobbert. He's a good boy. Uh, don't don't, don't, don't you dare now. name him Bobbert. That is mine. <laughs> We saw we saw what happened to Anna when she tried to take Stormy from me. I'm stealing Bobbert. She bit her in the face and died. Good. Kill your Charmander. I dare you. Kill that boy.
1: Stormy in my run was the worst Crobat I have
0: ever had. I'm so tempted to name it Bobbert now. Kill it. Kill it. I dare you. I dare you to kill your Charmin. It, <laughs> it's going to be funny when it just starts sweeping you, and then you just get more salty. Oh, my God. No, we we just talked about retiring jerseys, goddammit. You can't fucking snipe him. He's retired. Leave him alone.
2: <laughs> I wouldn't do that to you. It's just a funny idea.
1: Fucking Stormy will go down in history as the probat who died because
0: of <laughs> <the> Tangled... <laughs> Uh, the, the shiny bat that fucked over both of our rides, like Jesus Christ! <laughs> oh my God, I almost wiped the blue. <laughs> now, now Celeste has to get a shiny crow bat named Stormy and complete the hat trick. That's it's important. Okay, we gotta stop talking we, about this because I'm gonna die. We we gotta stop talking about Stormy. Yeah, Stormy's not here.
2: I I will agree to naming my next crow bat the shiny Stormy though.
0: Okay. <laughs> that sounds great. Moving on. We're we're here, guys. We have all of our marching orders. We are ready to begin. And this week our hosts will wake up in our new homes in Vanneville Town, where we're instructed by our mom to go make friends. Uh, because mom doesn't take no shit. We'll meet the neighbor kid, get a weird nickname, and be given a Pokemon and Pokedex to start a new adventure. Uh, we'll say goodbye to Mom and Rhyhorn, head north through a dark forest that looks oddly familiar, uh, surrounded by our entourage all the while until we reach Santa Loon City. We'll beat up a Road Rage Extreme Endliner and take her skates, go shopping for sweet, sweet fashions, and when we're ready, Viola awaits us in the Santa Loon City gym. Now, Viola is a bug-type specialist. She uses a Surskit and a Vivian. Her signature move is Infestation. The level limit for the chapter will be 12. How are you guys feeling starting back up our X and Y series? How does it feel to be back on that BBR grind? I'm really excited.
1: However, Infestation is no fucking joke. It's a really good way to lose a Pokemon in week one.
2: Yeah, Infestation is scary. Like... Ugh, I can imagine just having a Pokemon out there, low, trying to switch it, and then like, oops, infestation says no. Mm-hmm. At least I'm, I'm not
1: starting with a grass starter.
0: <laughs> Vi- <laughs> Viola is a much stronger gym leader in, in execution than she is on paper because, yeah, she locks you in, um, which is always a problem. Like That was the big problem in Gen 3 with Roxanne, right, was that her, uh, her <laughs> nose pass had block. It's the, the same thing, except this one also has ticking damage. So worse, even. It's not great, but it's still a week one Bugs gym leader, and I think we're going to be okay. Now, just a quick reminder um, that if you are looking to connect with the community, if you are looking for any of the materials that we referenced in today's episode and are incapable of checking the show notes for some reason – actually, that's a problem because I'm about to direct you to the show notes, so – I don't know. Cognitive dissonance is a thing, I guess, but you can join the Blasper Radio discord link in the show notes of today's episode where you can chat with our community, get links to our hall of fame document, to our save files for the community. All of that good stuff. If you want to play along, chat with us along the way, uh, feel free to hop in. We also hold regular or semi-regular competitions uh, that we'd love to have you take part in as well. So join the Discord, be an active part of the community, and tell us about your own Nuzlocke run. Um, speaking of telling us things, we want your emails. Whether you're playing along with us at home, doing your own challenge run, or you just want to talk to us, uh, you can give us your thoughts and feelings by email to blastburnradio at gmail.com or get at the show on Twitter at Blastburn Radio, uh, you can also find us at our new website, uh, blastburnradio.com, and there is a contact us form available there as well. As always, you can follow me personally at BBR Jolly on Twitter.
1: I'm at Lust. and I'm at incidentally Anna Anna.
0: And as always, don't forget that Anna has a company, Mythic Portal Games, where you can get all of your role-playing needs taken care of, if you need a map or assets to make a map or tokens or music Music. or presumably eventually whole-ass campaigns because that's the direction this is going in, Um, Anna can give you those things at a very reasonable price and at a very high quality. Also, don't forget that for this series in particular, our gameplay will not be streamed live on Twitch. Um, You can follow us individually on Twitch. I know I stream Fairly regularly, Pokemon content over at twitch.tv slash jollybynature. But our gameplay for Blastburn Radio will be uploaded to YouTube. You can find our channel by searching for Blastburn Radio on YouTube. And be sure to subscribe. If we get enough subscribers, we'll get a direct link. And that'll be a lot easier to say on this podcast. So I would appreciate that.
2: Um, Also, to add an we're
0: what about our PvP battles? They will also be recorded this season historically we've done our pvp battles using pokemon showdown due to ease of use because old generation online features are not really a thing this generation we have the option to connect directly online and create higher quality content so that's something we want to do so yes instead of showdown replays in the show notes of the episode we will actually be recording our pvp battles from live gameplay uh and those will have a playlist as well over on youtube so be sure to check those out I do want to thank everyone for joining us today. As always, I want to give a very special thank you to my co-hosts, Anima Servier and Celeste Dreyer. For Blastburn Radio, I am Stephen Charbonneau. Thank you for listening. We will see you next time.
1: See you next time, folks. See ya.
0: Blastburn Radio is a production of Challenge Accepted Media. This episode was produced by Stephen Charbonneau. If you enjoy Blastburn Radio, you can support us at Patreon.com slash Challenge Accepted Media. Pokemon and all related games and characters are the trademark and property of Nintendo, Game Freak, and the Pokemon Company. Opening music in today's episode includes "Game On" by Fishy off the OC Remix album "The Missing No Tracks." Check out this great album at missingno.ocremix.org. Battle music in today's episode provided by Glitchx City. Check out her work on YouTube or SoundCloud at Glitch X City. Closing music in today's episode is Professor Sycamore's theme remix, also by Glitchx City. Design work for Blastburn Radio Season 8 provided by Rachel Mondragon, at Chu, Nathan, at Fiery Dance, and Chisai, at Chisai236. Check out their other work or contact them for commissions on Twitter. Blastburn Radio and its hosts are solely responsible for its content.